0: and with your spirit. Glory to you, Lord. praise to you lord jesus christ a people that walked in darkness have seen a great light those who lived in a land of gloom have had the light shine forth upon them it's beautiful words of of the prophet Isaiah and who could blame us for kind of presuming that maybe he's talking to us about our particular times and our particular gloom and our particular darkness this miserable year of 2020 you're supposed to laugh at that point (laughs) maybe you weren't I don't know (laughs) but anyway you know, it, it, it's easy to say, well, you know, this is a pretty gloomy time. And we're sort of in a time of darkness. And, and you know, it's, 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 it's just troubles everywhere and everywhere and everywhere. And, and, and that would be nice. But it's not what Isaiah was writing about. Isaiah is writing about his own people in his own times. He's writing about poor little Israel, which is always being pushed around and overcome and and kicked around and beaten up and and, and conquered by one superpower or another. In his case, it's the Assyrians who've come in and they are chomping away at the poor little people and they're, they're not succeeding in fighting back. And finally, 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 through the intercession of their Lord, their God, you know, the Assyrians are pushed back in a great victory and Isaiah is all happy. And that's why he is happy. That's why a light is shining on his people though they walk in darkness. But Isaiah is also a person who knows his Bible history. He knows that his present story of Israel in his time is also basically the story of Israel through every time. He understands very well that the troubles of his land, the troubles of his people, the gloom and the darkness that he describes so well is a gloom and a darkness that they've experienced from the beginning practically. You know, there's how many hundreds of years of slavery in Egypt? That was as dark and gloomy as it could get. But the Lord, through Moses, leads them out of slavery, and then they've got 40 years wandering around in a desert, and that's pretty gloomy and pretty dark. And then they get to the promised land and they have battle after battle after battle with their neighbors. That was tough. That was gloomy. That was dark. And so goes their history. One gloominess, one darkness, after another, after another, after another. And not just from the outside, but from the inside too. They, they were, the prophets railed to, about their, their, their arrogance before God. Their idolatry, they're they're, they're hedging their bets with the gods and goddesses of their neighbors. That too is a darkness, that too is a gloominess that never ever seems to be fully lifted. There's hope, there's always a light out there somewhere, there's always a sign that God is, is near, but the problem, the great itch, the spiritual itch that forever plagues Israel, is this itch that says God is near, but God isn't here. You know, God speaks to us on mountaintops in thunder and lightning and wild clouds and storms. God appears to us as a a burning bush, but we can only come so far, so close. You know, God leads us through the desert with a pillar of fire, but it's a pillar of fire out there leading us on. The Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God in our midst, you know, the commandments and the tablets and all that stuff inside of it. You know, this is as close as we get to God and God helped the fellow that touches the thing. They fall dead. They're struck dead immediately. We can't get close to God. Even though we have hope in God, even though we have faith in God, he's always a little bit ahead of us. He's a little bit above us. He's never quite really here with us. And that's the great spiritual itch of Israel through all of their history. We we love God. We believe in God. We trust in God most of the time. But God's so almighty. God's so good. God's so, so godly that he's out there. He's up there. He's he's looking down upon us. He may be helping us and guiding us and hearing our prayers, but here in the dirt and the dust and the gloom and the darkness of life here on this earth, he's not here, though he may be near. That scratch, that itch, that that foundational discomfort, that that social distancing between Israel and God never ever gets resolved. It's always there under the surface. It never ever gets resolved. This darkness, this gloom, where God is close but not quite here, never gets resolved until, until, until a little baby boy cries out for the first time in a stable in Bethlehem. He he breaches his mother's womb and comes out into the world and suddenly, suddenly, God is not just up there. God is not just out there. God is not just a burning bush. God is not just a voice in thunder and lightning. God is here. Flesh and blood. <laughs> Eyes and ears and nose and ten toes and ten fingers. Count them. They're all there. With, with the tenderest of flesh. And suddenly for the first time. For the first time, that great spiritual itch is resolved because God is now here. God has let go of his godliness, his almightiness, his heavenliness, his his gloriousness to, to come and be one with us as one of us one who will walk with us one who will speak to us in words we understand in a voice that is a human voice one we can look eye to eye one we can embrace one who will embrace us a god whose hand we can hold and who will hold our hand a God even who will endure with us the worst that the world has to offer, all of the doom and all of the gloom and all of the darkness, a God who is a human being with us in all of it, even in death itself, even in an unjust death itself, even in a cruel death itself. This is now the God of Israel. This is now the God who is no longer out there, who is close but not here. This is now a God who is here. And that is why we celebrate tonight. That is why we eat and drink and share presents and eat cookies way more than we should. That is why we come to church. That is why we sing beautiful hymns. That's why we have bells and chimes and pianos. Because of the itch, the spiritual itch of Israel has been finally, finally healed by a baby boy born in the stable in Bethlehem. But a boy with real faith and real eyes and real ears and a real voice who is now here with us in all of it. That's the light. It's no longer out there. It's no longer a light at the end of the tunnel. It's no longer a vaccine somewhere out there that will eventually get. This is now who we are. A people with whom God walks and with whom God speaks and with whom God embraces and with whom God even dies and, of course, rises. And and it's possible for us to say, well, that's all very nice and good, but what about now? It's 2,000 years later. Jesus is kind of long gone. He's off the scene. And that's why we say no. Jesus says he's here for all time. It's fundamentally changed now. We now know his voice. We hear his voice when it's proclaimed from those books, from those scriptures. We we now hold his flesh in our hands. Every time we receive Holy Communion, we hold his flesh in our hands. So Jesus is as much here with us, God is as much here with us now. As he was in Bethlehem to the shepherds and to Mary and Joseph who ever showed up at that stable that night. And he is just as close to us and just as dear to us and just as much one of us now as he ever was. And that's why we celebrate. Because as John says in the opening of his gospel, the word was made flesh and pitched his tent among us.